0: Just in case you ever hear me preach and I pray, I always have to start with, um, now that we go on. I don't know why. I used to say it so fast, people didn't even know what I was saying. And then, two, I always say Jesus at the end three times to make up. Because uh, when I first started dating my wife, she noticed that I didn't say Jesus ever in my prayer. I came out of that environment where you don't mention Jesus because you don't want to offend anybody. And I'm like, I got to make up for lost time. So, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I'm making up for it and, and count. So, we're talking about the Proverbs and. Living well, and a part of living well to me and, uh, and to the Bible and to Jesus and to everyone around you is having a fruitful ministry, right? So let's get right into the scriptures Proverbs 3 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Oh, Sorry, hold on. I went out of order. So, I first, let me give you an overview of where we're going, right? Where we're going, how to apply wisdom. What do we do with all this wisdom under pressure? And I always like to end with what to pray for. Let's first talk about our source of wisdom. Let me get there real quick before we dive into the the word. Because if you're taking wisdom from this world, you have to think about what's your source. This is a world where there's a billion dollar industry to help us all eat incorrectly, right? Tums, Pepto-Bismol, right? All those things, so you can go out and eat pizza, everything that your body hurts. So you can overeat too, right? They have things, oh, are you overeating? Take this so your stomach doesn't expand too much and hurt you. There's a whole business that allows us to do the wrong thing. We're supposed to eat vegetables and fruits and all those things. What do we call that? Dieting, right? That's not dieting, that's the way we're supposed to eat. Our body tells us, right? Because when our shirts don't fit, everything creaks when we sit down on it, right? Right? We're all heavy and overweight, like obesity is an epidemic in America. We have access to the healthiest foods ever known to man. We could literally have the healthiest diet ever known. Do we? No, we have one of the worst diets, right? So think about the source of where your knowledge is, right? And then also think about our human condition. We all have an area of our life that connects to our ego that our flesh or the devil can easily use to manipulate you, correct? Like, you don't have to admit it, I'll admit it, I do, right? If you challenge my intelligence, you're probably gonna get that slow look back, oh, you think you're smarter than who? Oh, right. <laughs> no, but like, that's something that you can easily play on, right? It, I don't know if you ever heard of Bernie Madoff, but uh, he, was, he ran one of the biggest Ponzi schemes in history. And if you don't know what a Ponzi scheme is, it's where I say, oh, I can easily make you more money. But what I do is I get $25 from you, and then I get $25 from someone else. I promise you 15, I take the 15 and give it to you, and then keep the rest for myself. So I have this scheme going where I'm making these payouts based on the money that is given to me. And I watched this movie on HBO and it just blew my mind, but it really did highlight our human condition, right? So this guy walks up to Bernie Madoff and says, oh, I want to invest five million with you, right? But what you don't know is right before that, Bernie Madoff had a conversation with the associate saying, we're broke. We have no money to make the payouts. You have to get money for us. So this guy, this big fish, you would call him, walks over and is like, oh, I have five million I want to invest with you. Five million is a lot of money, right? We can all admit that. Bernie is like, I'm not into making uh, small investments right now, I don't wanna insult you because we're friends. First of all, it is insulting, right? I just offered you five million dollars, you said it was small, and so the guy is like, oh, most most normal people would walk away, but Bernie knows this man is controlled by his ego and that's connected to his money. So he's like, okay, okay, Bernie, 7.5. He's like, really, I don't wanna insult you, right? So the guy looks at him again, he's like, all right, 15 million, not a penny more. Right, And the guy looks at him again and he's like, Bernie's like, I really don't want to insult you. He's like, all right, 20 million and no more. Bernie just looks at him, gives him a sigh. He's like, 25 million and not a penny more. And Bernie says, well, because we're old friends, I'll take this little bit amount of money. And the guy was happy. He was happy that he just gave away $25 million, right? Now we can critique him and judge him, but that's all of us, right? We have all fall victim to something similar to that, whether it's our ego, our fear, or not feeling like we're adequate, but that's our human condition, right? That's where our source of wisdom could come from. Do we really want a source of wisdom that looks like that, that's easily manipulated, right? That allows us to do the, that we try to find ways to do the wrong thing, right? So we got to think about where our source of wisdom comes from, right? I have an example, right? Bad biscuits make the baker broke, broke, right? That sounds wise, but what does that even mean, right? Like, I don't even understand, but that's kind of like what the world's wisdom is when it comes to you, like, oh, be selfish, right? For yourself, right? That's not quality wisdom, right? These are things that we have to realize what the world is giving to us, right? So Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. So I'm doing the first half of Proverbs 3. I'm starting in the middle and then I'll go back to the top. But I have it on the screen. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Right? So I'm going to give you some terms and some technical terms and then as I go through the whole sermon, you'll understand this. So theology is the study of God. Doxology is the worship of God. Orthodoxy is the practice of worshiping God. Wisdom is submission to God. Without theology, you just have praise and will lead to heresy and a form of emotional practice. What we described before, that man was easily emotionally manipulated because it wasn't grounded in anything but his money. Theology without doxology leads to dead, cold orthodoxy. People who just go to churches to get communion or to get prayed over or to get the the little ash on Ash Wednesday to get the little ash on their forehead. That's what that could lead to, right? Theology, orthodoxy, and doxology without wisdom will lead to ineffectiveness in ministry and legalism and, and moralism. We saw this when Jesus came The Sanhedrin. All those people he was talking to, they had theology. They had orthodoxy. They had doxology. They gave away a lot of their money to the poor, and they tithed, and they knew the Bible better, but they had no effective ministry going on right? That's one of the reasons that made them upset. When Jesus was coming, his ministry was effective because it was filled with wisdom, right? It was filled fully submitted to God. It wasn't grounded in anything that I have here in life. So wisdom is a system that allows Christians to navigate the world while conducting Christian ministry, right? So what does all that mean? So I take me as an example, right? So me as a computer programmer, I don't know, I know what programming is, right? I know what a computer is, right? I could talk to you about programming, but if someone gave me a job in programming, I wouldn't last more than two days. You know why? Because I can't program, right? I can't code. I, I, I can talk to you about it. I could probably get through an interview. But as soon as you ask me to be like, oh, well, uh, Joel, we need to fix this website. I'm like, ooh, uh, okay, I'm not exactly sure, right? My boss would come in the next day and this is it. This is all that happened. You are done. Get out, you wasted my time. You actually owe us money for the money you wasted, right? So. What does wisdom help you do? Have a fruitful, constant, and ongoing ministry, right? With wisdom, you can apply everything that God has done for you, the gift of salvation, the the agape love, that he loves you no matter what, and you can give that to other people. You can navigate through this world and help other people be the best person they're supposed to be. So what is truly living well? Having a fruitful and constant ministry in every area of your life. When you meet the judge of the earth, he won't check your closet, your cars, your voting record, your lawn, your bank account, or your degrees. He will look at the lives you have impacted with the amazing gift he gave you of salvation. Because of Jesus, you are free to minister in your family, at your job, at your church, in your social groups, and anywhere else God puts you, right? You are free to minister. You're not bounded by shame. You're not bounded by inability. You're not bounded by your culture, your race, or anything like that. Because of salvation in Christ, you can minister anywhere, right? You don't have to feel anything because it doesn't have to be through you. Like I always say this, like you could be nervous and still do a good job. Like today, I was nervous the whole morning coming here because I've never talked in front of you guys. But I know I can still do a good job because it has nothing to do with me because I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, just like the rest of you, right? I thought this was a Baptist church. I should have got an amen on that, but I'll take it. All right. (laughs) So, So what I always say, right, before I get there, right, the whole point of this, and I was, I was debating this in my head all morning. My wife could ask me what I was thinking about, if I was going to say this, but I felt like it was right. If you're a part of a ministry and you're never tired and you're never sweaty, you're never frustrated with that ministry, right? It never breaks your heart. You're not ministering. And that's the honest truth, right? If you're in a marriage and it doesn't frustrate you sometimes and it's not where you want it to be because you're working at it and building at it, most likely you're not really putting your all into that marriage, right? If you go to the gym and you go back not sweaty, you did not work out, right? Like, (laughs) if you, unless, I don't know, no, there's no way. Even yoga, you sweat, I don't know, there's nothing. If you own a restaurant, right, and your staff is tired at the end, your your, your restaurant's a mess, you're tired, you're out of food, that means you have a successful what? Restaurant, right? If you go to the gym and you're sweaty, you're tired, and you're sore, that means you had a successful workout, right? If you're fruitful, minute, well, like I come from, uh, my family comes to Jamaica, right? And they would always say, I know you, Daron, a Jamaican brother of mine, you've heard this before. When a man comes from the field, he can eat your whole house and land, right? Because he's been working so hard, he's hungry, you can't have no salad, knocking that in your face, right? Like, no, I picked that outside. The tomatoes are out there. I want some meat and some goat and everything in here, right? This is what I want in here, right? <laughs> so if you're working hard, if you're in fruitful ministry, right, you are tired. You are frustrated. You want things to get better, right? So if you walk into heaven like this, right, adorned with all the worldly things, looking good, feeling good. You're only there to give the angels a workout, right? You're only there because they need to pick you up, get a couple curls on you, and throw you out, right? That is it. You are not there. This is how we should all walk into heaven. Exhausted, begging to be here. Lord, thank you. I've been serving you. Get me out of here. I'm done with these people. I, like, I, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't need to stress that point anymore because that's how you should walk into heaven, right? Exhausted because that's fruitful ministry. If you're a farmer, if the farmer is cruising in, After a day of farming, he was at the lake. He was not farming. That is it, right? Like that, you know, wait a minute, like, right? You didn't eat nothing. Oh, no, you wasn't working. You were somewhere else, right? So wisdom allows you to apply all that God has done for you effectively. Now, here's an important part. Without love, you are a miserable and mean Christian. You end up telling people with no shoes to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. You begin to believe that you are the model Christian. And others should be like you. You end up pointing people to your culture, not Christ. So Proverbs 3, 3 through 4. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Right? Like, that's a... Think about that imagery. Bind it around your neck. You can't forget nothing on your neck. Right? Um, I remember when I was younger, it was... This story, is, it, it's relevant, right? Because when I, I was in a restaurant and I told this guy he had white powder on his jacket, right? And he was like, oh, he took off. It was an older man, maybe in like a 60s, 70s. He took off his jacket and he had this huge gold medallion, not like, like, not like fancy chains, I mean like a gold circle. No artistry to it, just like a gold circle. And I couldn't stop staring at it. My youth leader just kept like, stop staring. She was like, why are you staring at that? I was like, he has to come from a family of thieves. It's all my mind. She was like, why? That's his retirement. He just doesn't want to lose it. The only thing I could think of, like, he has to keep his retirement and gold around his neck so his family won't steal it. She's like, how did you derive to that? I don't know. That's what my derived. But the, it works for this. Jesus had that in my head so I could use it for this sermon. Right? Because when love or something is important to you, it's right here. Right? It's very centered. Right? The, once again, we can look at the Sanhedrin and all them. They were not operating in love. It's hard for me to sit still. I teach little kids. I'm walking around. I should be taking pencils from people, pushing in chairs, all that kind of stuff. So, when you, when you look at that, right, when you think about love should be right here and focused. It, like, my wife works in the nonprofit field, right? And I, it, was, it blows my mind. Her and her friend will sometimes talk about that they get on their reviews, you help people too much. What? What is my job? Is to help poor people find housing, to help poor people find food. Oh, am I not doing the rest of my job? Oh, no, you're doing the rest of your job, but I, I feel like your heart's too into it. Like, you really want to help these people. That, what? what kind of ministry is that of love, right? Like I'm a Boston Public School teacher, and I can say this, they're my employer. They operate in no love. There is no love within the Boston Public Schools. Maybe individuals, but not the system overall. How hot is this gym, right? I've been in meetings like this where this gym has, is full to the brim. So imagine how much hotter this auditorium is, right? Go into any of those classrooms. They're the same temperature, and we're taking tests. We got computers and projectors out. The heat is only up. The windows are broken. The shades are broken. Can't open them, right? I've broken windows open with desks and feet. Don't tell my... Yeah. <laughs> so, like, these are, this is the reality, right, that you live in, right? When, I, um, when people ask me, why do you take kids on field trips? Why do you do this with kids, right? I'm like, why am I working with children? Is that your question, right? Because they're not operating in love. They're operating in task space. Oh, no, they should be learning this. They should be learning that. No, 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 no. They should still learn but they should still be a fruitful, happy person at the same time. They should enjoy coming to school. They should enjoy being around people, right? Th- those are facts. But when you're not operating in love and you're operating just in tasks. You- your ministry is ineffective, right? If-, if Proverbs, if this scripture is all about wisdom and the first thing to tell you to do is put love around your neck, that should show you that your ministry should be fully operating in love first. Like, I think there was a whole movement at one time about don't give homeless people money, right? Because it's irresponsible. And there was like debate back and forth. And where I fell on it is just error on the side of love, right? If someone really needs it and asking for you, it's not my job to, to check where they're gonna go and to follow them in every investment. No one does that when they go to a certain store. You don't know where that money's going. You don't know where that's investment. So you can go to a store and openly get what you want. You can at the same time give someone money. So I would say if you're operating in love, you're operating, you're going to err on the side of generosity first when it comes to that. So theology, without truth slash acknowledgement, you are susceptible to heresy and false teachings, and will make the same mistakes over and over. You'll fall for the same trick of the devil without a solid understanding of scripture and truth. And will lead others down the same path. That's the most dangerous part, right? If you're not solid, you'll also help other people fall in quicksand. If you don't know where you're going and you're going through a dangerous area, like you're the worst person to lead. We don't know where we're going to go. We're going to waste resources, time, and we might end up hurting ourselves, right? The devil does not want you to study the scriptures. He knows it will build your faith. Your enemy would love for you not to bring your shield to battle. Proverbs 3, 1 through 2. My son, do not forget my teachings, but let your heart keep my commandments for the length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. You see, I went back to the top, right? I wanted you to get the understanding, you want to do all that, and then the love. But right after God tells you to study his scriptures, he tells you to love. So you see the connection, right? So like study, know the word, bring your shield, right? A shield protects you from attacks. A group of shields together is basically impenetrable, you got to remember, that. that's why I'm saying, like, a, think about a church and a community operating in love and sound theology. There's almost no task that we can't do together, right? Like, you got to think about that, like, uh, the Roman army was famous because they would come, stand with their shields in the front, let, let other armies bang at them, bang at them, and then switch to the back. The other shields would come together, bang and bang, because that group of, that group of people together, impenetrable, right? So your faith grounded in solid theology protects you from the attacks and lies of the devil. Ephesians six sixteen. above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, right? Your enemy, right, would love for you not to bring your shield to battle. You're defenseless. You're only on the attack. And that kind of makes your, your ministry ineffective, right? Because if someone comes and challenges you or has a serious question about the faith, you have nothing to back it up. You have nothing to give. You can come and be like, Jesus, 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 Jesus. But, like, but what about this? Uh, shut up. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Right? You just keep chopping. But that doesn't help. Right? Everyone's seen this movie, right? Well, I try to make my wife watch it. She won't watch it with me. Indiana Jones, right? He had the sword. Sing, zing, zing, Bang. Right? Bang. Useless, right? He had no way to protect him from the attack. He was ready to fight, but he wasn't ready to receive the attack back. Right? So we got to remember that... I'll take that off because it's kind of distracting. That's solid theology, Right? Helps you in ministry, right? So, if there's a couple words in your study of the Bible, should not be there. One of them is random, right? It should not be random. You shouldn't wake up one day and just start, let me just choose this chapter, let me do this. It should be very structured, right? Not very, but it should be structured. I should study Matthew, I should study Mark, I should go back and look at the Old Testament, I should have um, a concordance, or I should have some sort of, like, I use um, Matthew Henry, right? Like when I read the word, I go after and I look at Matthew Henry to confirm that I'm not making it up or doing what I'm what making up my own thoughts about the scripture, right? Using the scripture to justify what I want to do, right? I heard a story once a man woke up and he said he felt like God told him to kill himself, which is, is erroneous. It makes no sense. But he said, Well, let me just flip to the Bible and find a random scripture. So ne- the first scripture he found was Judas hung himself. And then he said, Oh, let me flip the Bible again. The next one, he said, Whatever God tells you to do, do it quickly. Right, right, that's like, <laughs> right, and so like as a result, like that is, that's what random can lead you to, right, because it's, and also, the, trust me, the devil would love for you to have random scripture because then he can slide in and put doubt in there and heresy and all types of things, but it should be in a way like you should be structured or we're, we live in a century right now or a time where you can just go on and choose a certain subject you want to study and your Bible app will walk you through it, right, it, so we should be very, very grounded in this. Because it just helps for effective ministry, right? Now, this is a tough one, right? When things are broken and terrible, your ministry can have the greatest impact, right? Proverbs 3, 7 through 8, be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Without understanding God's purpose, plan, and redemptive narrative, you will never truly gain wisdom. Your ministry is reconciliation, So you will be spending a lot of time fixing broken things, right? If you walk into a job and you see a lot of people having struggles and you see a lot of people that need a lot of advice and prayer and wisdom, probably in the right place, right? If you are, uh, if your family, that's a tough one, right? You're like, oh, okay, I'm done. No ministry for me, right? If your family (laughs) is having these same issues, a lot of arguments, a lot of this, you're there to pray for them. You're there to be an example and build your family different from theirs so they can see a Christ-centered family right? These are the tough parts. This is where ministry really, really is important, in the places where it's broken, right? Because we got to remember, the sink doesn't fix itself, right? That sink is clogged, you got to unclog it, especially if the toilet's clogged. Someone has to unclog it, usually me, get the plunger out there and do that, or grandma, she's a good at that. (laughs) But those are the kind of things you have to be a part of, right? Like, you have to get your hands dirty. You have to be in ministry where things are broken, Right? So the real question is, what do we do with all this wisdom, right? What's the step? So be powerful Christians, right? I love this one. Got the power. Boom, blow up the fire hydrant, right? No, like be powerful Christians means impacting the people around you, right? My wife kept asking me about my sermon, and I wouldn't tell her everything because I was going to highlight her, and I didn't want her to stop me. So Proverbs 3, 9 through 10, honor the Lord with your wealth, with first fruits and all of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine, right? My wife, she was telling me powerful testimony one day, right? She was on the way to work and she was just filled with gratitude. Gratitude for the job, gratitude for the car to get there, everything. She just felt very good. She got into work and instantly her ministry started, right? So a girl came up upset saying she's trying to reconcile with her mother but doesn't know how. She won't answer her. She won't respond to anything she's doing. My wife is just like, well, we just got to pray about this. Let's just commit to prayer about this, right? And the girl is also like, wait, well, I've written her a letter. And another woman comes over and is like, have you written her a letter? She's like, yeah, I've tried everything. And my wife's saying, this woman who came over usually doesn't want to hear anything about church, nothing about Christ, like, ah, all that stuff is foolishness. She said, Madeline's right. We got to pray about this. That's the only answer, right? That's because that's of the consistency in her ministry. And her work is not easy. Her, she can tell you a lot of stories about things in there, but her ministry has not stopped at all. And then that same day, a couple hours later, a woman comes in late to work. She's like, I wasn't even coming, but I came here to find you, Madeline, because I know you're a prayer warrior, and I need prayer for my daughter right now, right? That's being a powerful Christian, right? People seek you out and know, right? They don't need to have the knowledge. They know and they see the results. They see your resilience, right? They see that you're trying to fix this thing. They see that you're working and that you operate in love, right? You're not judging anyone. When this girl came to me, when the girl came to Madeline and was like, oh, I'm this with my mother, she wasn't talking bad about her mother, right? That's not a ministry of love. Oh, your mother should be better, right? Your mother should be this, or you should just do this and ignore her. No, she was like, let's pray because this is where we're supposed to be working, in the broken places. That relationship is broken. This is a chance for Jesus to work a miracle and fix it. Amen? So I thought I was in a Baptist church. All right, all right, all right, <laughs> Sorry. So what does this look like? Powerful Christians need to be cautious. You don't want to be passive, but you don't want to be overly aggressive, right? So let's talk about what a ministry like this looks like. I was one time, I was reading a list that said, are you a contentious Christian? He put his best one at number one. I didn't even read the rest of the list. He said, do you argue everything with the same temperament, right? With the same fierceness. I said, that summed it up all for me. He should have put that number 10. I might have read this whole article. But he put that number one, it just, I was like, oops, sorry. And so, <laughs> but if you think about it, that's a huge thing. So fruitful wise ministry is loving, not contentious. We already went over that, right? It's one where people feel comfortable admitting things to you. Comfortable saying, this is broken in my life. Comfortable saying, I came up in a bad childhood, and I don't know how to, rec- I don't know how to reconcile that. They don't feel like they're going to be judged, right? Unifying, making things whole. You are not a hero. Jesus went out and recruited 12 people that were close to him, then had another 70 around him, and he sent them everywhere. He was empowering people to do ministry and to be their best. He was not just to do it all. He could have you got to think who Jesus was. He's God on earth. He's a hypostatic union. He's all divine and all man. He could have had his own ministry. Could have been multiple places at once, did all types of space-time continuum things and had the whole Bible so confusing we wouldn't even understand it, right? It'd be like watching Endgame over and over again, right? But no, instead, he empowered others to do ministry, and that's what you should be doing, unifying, right? Sought after. People should seek you out, not avoid you. I've known Christians that have gotten fired from jobs because they're just hostile, right? Oh, you don't want to come to prayer group? I thought you said you go to church. Oh, buddy, like that's unnecessary. These are things that don't need to be done, right? If you want to start a prayer group at work, you, you should ask, right? You should ask your boss if it's okay, because you can't claim victim if you didn't ask first, right? Ask your HR people, right, Brian? Ask your HR people. They'll set up a nice designation for you. Brian works in HR, so. <laughs> and, so and, then, um, and then, so that's also a source. If you need advice on how to set up a prayer room, go to him, right? And, so, and then you just operate. You're in there, let the Holy Spirit need. It. Not, not you're forcing them in there. Right? I've seen people lose good jobs trying to be this forceful, loud, boisterous Christian when that's not anything that you need to be, right? Grounded, not over people's head. I would say think of the lady at the well and think of Nicodemus, right? Um, the lady at the well, Jesus used very few words and spoke to her right where her life was. Nicodemus, I've had to read countless commentary on what he was talking about with Nicodemus, and there's a whole thing on water judgment and everything, but Nicodemus already knew that because he knew Nicodemus was studied, right? So your ministry shouldn't be above people's head it should be right where they're at you should understand it should be um always think about this malcolm X, in his autobiography says he was more fruitful than any christian minister because he spoke the language of where he was right he could speak slang and other things because he was speaking right to them where they are and he also understood the despair and everything of that neighborhood are you tired of this are you tired of that right not, islam's not going to fix that or this but it, we can do this and work together and people like that message he so said the other ministers right weren't speaking on that level. They just came in talking about uh, on a very higher level than where the people were ready to be at, right? So make sure whatever your ministry is is grounded where they're at. You're also in a community of believers of multiple, multiple cultures, backgrounds, and education where if you don't know how to reach a certain person, you should be able to reach out and ask at the same time, right? So a model worker for Christ and earthly or family. I always put this, right? If you don't respect your parents, hard to ask your kids to respect you, Right? First and first, that's ministry for yourself. So you gotta talk to your mom on the phone, You gotta be respectful to her and then your dad and all those things, right? Because it's a model for your it's a model for your children. But I will say this, because the most embarrassing meetings of the teacher to be in is when a child is giving troubles in school and you have the parent come in and they start talking, and the first thing the kid says is, You don't respect your mother, why well, I gotta respect you? You just you try to move papers around, you try to not look, right? Like it is like you that 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 is. There is no argument against that, right? Like, what can you say? Well, I, do you want like I've heard Do you want to be like me, or do you want to, like either like that kind of argument doesn't work because you have no moral ground to stand on, right? You have nothing to even begin the conversation. So if you're the kind of person at work that shows up late and tells everyone what to do, no one is going to listen to your ministry, right? No one wants to hear from you, right? If you're the person that's a know-it-all, no one wants to live. Um, no one wants to listen to you. So you want to be a model worker, someone that does their work well. Someone that's pleasant while they're doing it? You're not caught in gossip? Because if you're gossip, no one's going to feel comfortable being real with you, right? Are you a person that respects your boss? You say, like, I understand that this person is difficult and they're micromanaging, but we can still find a way to respect them and not talk bad about them. Let's be solution-oriented, right? Are you that kind of person? Because if you're not, as we pointed out with the parent example, your ministry is dead, right? No one wants to hear from you at that point. So this is a tough one. Wisdom under pressure. Your wisdom in ministry is worthless if it falls under pressure. The beauty of being a child of God is his consistent refinement. The devil wants your ministry to fall. You maintaining your ministry under pressure or attack is ministry and worship. God can use these attacks to strengthen your faith, resolve, and most importantly, your ministry. I took the message version. I don't know. The message version is kind of like the Bible. Not kind of like it is. It is the Bible in our vernacular, right, for this, the last part of Proverbs that I'm using, Proverbs 3, 11 through 12. But don't, dear friend, resent God's discipline, Assault sulk under his loving correction. It's the child he loves that God corrects. A father delights is behind all this, right? When people are attacking you, when your ministry comes under attack, right? When people are talking bad about you behind your back, right? And you don't change who you are, and you're still fruitful in your ministry, and you're still loving, you're still wise, you're still knowledgeable, it is ministry in itself, Right? If you change every time someone comes and insults you or takes you down to another level, your ministry is useless, right? Because the devil knows how to get rid of it real quick. Your flesh knows how to get you out of it real quick, right? Your ministry is nothing unless it can withstand the pressures and the, and the insults and the people that get promotions who don't do the same amount of work as you. If, it can't, if, it can't, um, if people can't call you in a meeting and set you up and talk bad about you for an hour and 45 minutes and you walk out the meeting, um, upset crying and cursing and doing all that your ministry is nothing right i'm not saying this because uh, i've done this perfectly my whole life right i failed at it right and recently i always say this was, i thought i had the worst school year i could ever have right i hope the lord is done teaching me whatever or building whatever muscle right i hope i have enough spiritual muscle right i'm <laughs> but um probably not but like i really really was tested in this in every area of this year right? And you can ask my wife, you can ask Kevin, you can ask artists. I was constantly reaching out for prayer, constantly reaching out for support, because it was a tough year. I would walk into a job that I'd done for 12 years with anxiety, right? Never felt it before, but I needed to feel that, right? First, it softened my heart towards other people that have anxiety, right? And then it also helped me build my spiritual muscle. It also made me read more and listen to more worship music and listen to more sermons. Like, I used that time as refinement, because I needed him more than ever, right? Because, like, when you're just going about easily, Your ministry could be working, but, like, a good farmer is one that can farm in any environment, right? George Washington Carver is a famous scientist because he could go to that parking lot and grow you some corn and some peanuts out of it, right? He would figure out a way, get the ground, and do all that. That's why he's a famous scientist. If you only can grow in fertile ground, you're not a very useful farmer right? You need to be able to create fertile ground sometimes, right? And as Christians, we have that ability through strength of Jesus Christ to create fertile grounds where it looks like there's not. thought I was in a Baptist church, but all right. (laughs) (laughs) You can endure alone. You can't endure alone. This is important. Jesus sent everyone out in twos, right? But also is another part of that, right? This passage is literally called Rehoboam's folly, right? Then King Rehoboam took counsel with old men who had stood before Solomon, his father, while he was yet alive, saying, how do you advise me to answer the people? And they said to him, if you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them, when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. But he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. His first step to folly was rejecting the system of advisors His father placed around himself. His father was the wisest man who ever lived. If the wisest man who ever lived set up a council of elderly men to speak wisdom and to make decisions with, the wisest man that ever lived, he knew who his father was, right? Why would you then get rid of them, right? If I inherited a company and my father set up a board of people that have ushered this this company over and over again into success, why would I get rid of them, right? Other than for folly right? So you, as fruitful ministers of Jesus Christ, need to set up a wise counsel, right? You need to have people. My wife, she uses it against me. Every time I have a crazy great scheme, she's like, oh, remember you say you have to ask three people, and then I don't even ask them because I know the scheme is stupid, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, right? So, like, it comes to that, like, if you need to set up certain safeguards, right? So you even, like I even start to hear their voice before I even ask them. I'm not even gonna ask them, right? I gotta say like this and that and that and I imitate them and then I just walk off wiser and better for it, right? <laughs> but in essence, you need, I'm gonna move over here because I've been over there a long time. You need to set up a system of advisors and people that you can call, right? To be successful in fruitful ministry, you need wise and loving. I keep putting those two together. You don't need people calling you stupid when you come. You need people that affirm your feelings, but at the same time, lead you to wisdom. Wise and loving advice. Shoulders to cry on, right? You, if you're someone's prayer partner or sister and brother in the faith, and they can't cry around you, shame on you. Not on them. They should be able to cry around you. They should be able to be on your floor, right? They should be able to argue with their spouse in front of you, and then you separate them and calm them down, right? These are all things that should be happening, right? Right? Worship music. It, I don't, you must have a great job if you can go in there and not listen to worship music in the morning. But I don't know, I can't do it. I'd be having a blast. And I, I need shakaiah glory, every kind of glory to survive, right? So <laughs> I need it all, right? You should, a wise and loving church. If you're part of a church and you're scared of the pastor or you don't feel comfortable talking to the pastor or no one really reaches out for you and understands where you're at, uh, why are you going, right? Like, w- you should have those things, right? Wise and loving pastors. If you feel like you can't trust your pastor's advice, or you're not getting love from them, right? I'm not talking bad about them. This is just the reality of what the Bible will say. Why are you there, right? Prayer partners, you need people that are constantly, even if they're not here locally, right? You should have people all over this country and world praying for you, right? And you doing the same for them. And you could do fruitful ministry without a spouse. I'm not saying that if you don't have a spouse, you can't do fruitful ministry. What I'm saying is, there's more to the spouse. If you are a spouse of somebody and you know they're in a job or they're in fruitful ministry, then what you should be is a spouse that's wise and loving. You should be studying your word, right? You should be praying for them, right? You should be affirming their emotions. You should be doing little things that you know make them happy so they can get through the day and get through everything, right? So that's how we can endure as a team, right? As a group group of people with the shield of faith together, right? Because that could be almost impenetrable. So I always end with what to pray for. I cannot promise you I will not cry, right? I had two sons, and I've become a very emotional person, right? But when I imagined, or maybe I always was an emotional person. I didn't have nothing to feel emotional about. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. <laughs> and so um, what to pray for, to know when to hold God's hand, right? Because when I think about it, my son loved to say, like, I don't need you right now, Daddy. Let me, let me do it on my own. And then two minutes later, he's like, hold my hand, right? We're going to operate in fruitful ministry, right? I heard this when I was on my uh, field trip with my students. We went to the IMAX and they said, you could tell how healthy a coral reef is by the amount of sharks that it has around it, right? Because there's a, there's a lot there going on, a lot of fruit, all you're gonna bring is more attention and more tension towards it, right? There's gonna be people that wanna eat off of it, suck off of it. There's gonna be the devil that wants to destroy it, your flesh that doesn't wanna do it anymore. They don't wanna be tired anymore. and I worn. I, I wanna live nice and comfortable, right? Like, there's all these idols that you have to take on, right? And so to get through these things, to get through the backstabbing and the betrayal and the uh, people talking bad about you and the rumors and the stresses at work and mean bosses, you need to know when to take your hand and just hold on to the Father, right? Just to, just to tap in and to let him guide you, right? So and just, just for a moment when I'm saying this, just you don't have to close your eyes, or you do anything, but just imagine that you're talking to the Father, the one in heaven. Daddy, hold my hand. We are crossing the street, and the cars are scary. Daddy, hold my hand. Strangers are asking me questions. Daddy, hold my hand. I've never been here before, and I need you to guide me. Daddy, hold my hand. A kid was mean to me and hurt my feelings. Daddy, hold my hand. I want to try this new thing, but it is scary. Daddy, look. I can cross the street. I can answer this strange person. Daddy, let's go this new way. Daddy, I told that kid, leave me alone. Daddy, I'm not scared anymore. Daddy, hold my hand. Why? Just do it. All I can leave you with is, please, just beg the Father to hold your hand so that you can empower other people to be the amazing, God-fearing, on-fire Christian that God desires them to be.